And what that is, is we are preparing a series for probably in the fall, uh, where we're going to be talking through some uh, topics and things that maybe you are curious about, maybe something that you have read before uh, in the Bible or something like that. And so the question is simply this, that we're asking you just one simple thing. It says, in an upcoming message series, I'd like to learn more about blank. And we're asking you to fill in the blank. And so you can scan the QR code and it'll take you right to that question. Or on the Church Center app, you can click on uh, the more link and then you ask for it and it'll be there as well. And that's going to help us out so that we can prepare for that in the fall. But we are glad that you are here. And um, today I want to talk to you for just a few moments um, on this subject. I've titled the message today, One Miraculous Breath. One Miraculous Breath. And I don't know if you are like me or not, but um, around the Easter season or really any holiday or season that comes up, uh, if it's Christmas, Easter, whatever it is, I like to read a lot of uh, devotions. Come on, the Bible app helps us out a lot with that because they suggest things, you know, at the top that go along with the season that we're in. But I like to read, and I'll even go back and I'll read the Easter story, as we would call it, and uh, read it in different Gospels and just kind of wrap my mind around it once again. And it's not that we can't read it all year long because I would encourage you to do that, but there's something about uh, when you're in that season uh, reading it and it's like it does it speaks to your heart a little bit differently because uh, we know it's leading up to this day which is the celebration of Jesus resurrection uh, after he died for us and so uh, so I enjoy doing that and I think a lot around these times one of the things that I have been thinking about which is really where I want to go with the message today is about the breath of God uh, that how how powerful and how significant the breath of God actually is and so uh, so I want to talk about a few different things, just a few different ideas as we go through the message, and then we're going to worship one more time and uh, have a time of prayer if anybody needs prayer for anything. But, uh, but I want to talk for just a few minutes on one miraculous breath and the breath of God. And one instance that we, uh, when we think about the breath of God, one instance that we think about is probably first breath. So this was the first thing that came to my mind was talking about first breath and what is the first breath. Uh, that we think about a lot of times in our lives. So if you're a parent in the room, you probably remember the, the moment that your child was born and they took their first breath, right? And it was something that uh, if you're a parent, you know that in that moment you are changed forever. Like there, is, there are very few things that can even compare to that and what it does in your life in a moment, how you're changed forever whenever your child is born right and you hear that cry or whatever it is and they take their first breath in the world. And so a lot of times we think about that as the first breath, um, but I want to think back as to what is the first breath that is mentioned in the Bible? What is the first mention of God's breath and Him breathing something in the Bible, and we can find that in Genesis chapter 2, and I just want to read a few verses as we get going today, verses 4 through 7. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made them. Now no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, nor had any plant of the field sprouted. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But, the spring, but springs welled up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Now we know if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you know that God uh, created us in his image. So we are created in the image of God. 
And then in Genesis chapter 2, he's saying, I created you, and I created this man, I created humankind, and then I breathed the breath of life into their nostrils, and that's when they came alive. Now, how many of you know today, sitting here in this chair at church, that you are not keeping yourself alive? There is something, come on, some of us, we refer to it as this. Maybe you've heard this before. There is something greater than me that is keeping me alive. There's some greater force or whatever. And I'm here today to tell you that it's the breath of life that God breathed into humankind. That is what causes everything to work together. And it's the reason that you are even alive. We're, we're alive because God breathed life into us and made us alive. And the Strong's Concordance, if you look at the word here, for breath, it'll tell you that this breath that God breathed into this man's nostrils, it can also be defined as vital breath. In other words, it is absolutely necessary that you have this breath, otherwise you are not alive. And God breathed into humankind this vital breath of life, and it's the reason that you and I are even able to sit in this seat today and that we're alive. We even sing a song, maybe you've heard it on the radio or you've sang it in church before that says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It was a very popular song not too many years ago that a lot of churches were singing, and it's really a true statement that it's his breath in our lungs, so our response is that we pour out our praise. Like, we give that breath back to him, and with every breath and every word that we speak, we're praising him. So we talk about first breath, and even David, I, I like this in Psalm 33 and verse 6, he says this, he says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. It's this picture in my mind where God just breathed and stars came into being. Where, like, I think about it in this way, how significant it is that when God breathes, things just happen. That when God breathes, galaxies are formed. And when God breathes, you know, dead things come alive and God spoke everything into his existence and he breathed into Adam and gave him life. And it's by God's breath that we are alive. And so there's significance in the first breath that is mentioned in the Bible because it's applicable for you even today. That you are alive because of the breath, this vital breath that God breathed into you. And then another instance that we think about when we think about the breath of God is last breath. So some, we think about first breath, and a lot of times we associate that with, we can even relate to that with our kids and being born and all of that, but last breath, and a lot of times we identify this or we associate this thought with somebody that we loved that passed away or somebody that we know, like, they breathed their last. You know, maybe it was a parent or somebody that you were close to, somebody in your family, and you just, you associate this thought of a last breath with that situation or that scenario. And when we think about Easter uh, we think about Jesus hanging on the cross. And, you know, most of us in the room have probably seen The Passion of the Christ. It's hard to believe that that movie is almost 20 years old now. Uh, I think it came out in 2004. And, uh, but we watched that, and it is actually, I mean, like, that's probably the best depiction of what Jesus went through that I've ever seen in my life. You know, and I don't even know that it's, like, as graphic as what it may have been because these people were upset with Jesus. And I think about Jesus hanging on the cross and he's hanging there, and this is what, math, what Mark 15 says. I want to read a few verses, starting in verse 33. It says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing nearby heard this, they said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. 
And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. He put it on a reed and held it up for Jesus to drink, saying, Leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You can read in other Gospels where Jesus, before he, you know, it says that, you know, he, he tells the Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Or he breathed his last, or he said, it is finished, and then he gave up his spirit. And it's all talking about Jesus taking his last breath on the cross. And everything that needed to happen had been accomplished. He said, it is all accomplished. It's accomplished, and accomplished, and he breathed his last. And ultimately, this is what Good Friday is all about. Because leading up to today, today is actually the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday but you think about it really started all the way back on Thursday. You know, and Jesus has had this dinner with, with his disciples and he's been betrayed and he's been arrested and he's been beaten and, and mocked and he's been on trial and they take him here and they take him over here and then they take him back over here and he's on trial before the, the, you know, the people are all yelling, crucify him and we want nothing to do with him and they release a criminal, you know, to have Jesus crucified and all of this stuff is taking place and he's being whipped and mocked and these thorns are jammed into his head and he's ultimately crucified and nailed to a cross and all of this was after he had spent his entire ministry you know teaching people and helping people and healing people and loving people and religious leaders they were so upset with what Jesus was doing that ultimately it led to his crucifixion and so what was happening while Jesus was being whipped and mocked and beaten and crucified? And I think there's so much significance that you need to wrap your mind around that Jesus endured for you and what it means for you. Isaiah would say it this way in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took on our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, struck down, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. How many of you can relate to the last verse there? That we all like sheep have gone astray, right? We've all tried to live life our own way. At some point, even if you're a believer today and you're a Christian today, at some point you were trying to live life your way. You were trying to do your own thing. You thought that you knew best. Come on, I've been there. I remember. You know, it's like before, before God really got a hold of me, before I surrendered my life, say it that way. You know, you just you try to do life your own way. And he says, each one of us, we've turned to our own way. But he took on everything upon himself that we would ever need. And so this significance of everything that Jesus endured, I was thinking through these things as we see in Isaiah. And we're going to talk through several just really quickly. But the peace, your peace, is found in what Jesus endured. Like your, your healing is found in what Jesus went through. Like all of the things that we crave in life, peace, love, joy, healing, all of these things, it's, it's all found in what Jesus endured and what Jesus went through for you. Your freedom is found in what Jesus endured. Your forgiveness and your salvation, your eternal destination, it's all found in what Jesus did for you, what Jesus endured for you. And some of the things that Isaiah mentions in the verses that we just read, because this is a prophecy from over 700 years before Jesus would even come on the scene. 
And Isaiah sees this picture and he writes this down and it's this prophetic thing that this is what Jesus is going to come and accomplish for us. And so in Isaiah 53, he lists out some things. And so he says he took on our infirmities, which literally means he took on our sickness. Like every sickness that you would ever deal with, every infirmity in your body that you would ever deal with, he took all of that on himself. He carried our sorrows. In other words, he carried all of our pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. He bore our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Which means he was crushed for our guilt, or we could say it this way. He took the punishment that we deserved. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He took the discipline that we deserve so that we could be made complete and we could be made whole. And I like this one, by his stripes we are healed. And I don't know why this may be one of the ones that we struggle with the most. Because for a lot of us, it's not that difficult to grasp the concept that Jesus died for our sins. That Jesus took all of this on himself. But at the very end of that, he says, and by his stripes, you are healed. Some translations even, even quote it probably even better, that you were healed. That it's already been done. Everything that you would need for healing has already been accomplished. By the stripes that were put on his back. And the Hebrew word that we translate as healed, it can also be translated as physician. So in other words, the stripes that he took on his back, the beating, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ and where they were whipping him and the glass and the rock and all that was ripping the skin away from his body, it's by that that we can make the statement that you've probably heard if you've grown up in church that he's the great physician. That's a true statement. That's not just a cliche thing. This word actually means physician. In other words, the whipping that Jesus took, that is our physician. That is our healing. That is where healing comes from. It's from what he endured. 1 Peter 2.24 says it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes you are healed. One theologian, he says it this way, talking about Jesus and, uh, and, and just the Easter story as a whole. He says, Jesus came sovereign and sinless to take our place under the judgment of God. <coughs> He took our place under the judgment of God. He came, lived a sinless, perfect life, and took our place. And I love what Romans 5 reminds us of, looking at verses 6 through 8. For at just the right time, while we were still, still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love this picture because Paul wrote this. And here's what, here, Paul gives us a contrast. And he says, think about your life. You, most people aren't going to be willing to die for anybody else. But he says, there might be some of you that for a good person, you know, I think about like maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe somebody who stood in the gap for you, maybe somebody who's made a difference in your life or made an impact in your life, somebody that has seen you through something, somebody that you're close to. He says, maybe for somebody like that, someone might dare to die. Somebody might be willing to step in and say, no, I'll take the, pun I'll take the punishment, I'll take the death so that they can be spared. And then he makes a contrast. He says, but God doesn't operate like that. He says, that's how you show, like somebody that you love, you might be willing to die for them, but God showed his love in this way. That while you were still a sinner, he went ahead and sent Jesus. 
to die for you. And Jesus, he said, they don't take my life, I willingly lay it down. Jesus laid his life down for you before you ever even knew he existed. Before you were ever even born, before anything ever happened in your life, while we were still enemies of God, if you will, Jesus came and died and took our place so that we would have the opportunity to surrender our life to him, to find true life and freedom in him. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful that God doesn't wait for me to get my life together before he makes a move. God already made a move. God made the ultimate move. He sent Jesus before you were before you ever even gave God a thought. While you were still a sinner. He said, "No, Jesus is going to come. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to die for you. He's going to take your place so that you can have life." Even though you don't even know me yet, you don't want to have anything to do with me yet. Come on, some of us, we've even lived our lives. You can remember seasons in your life where you didn't want anything to do with God. Jesus still died for you. He still died for me. I remember when I was living my life and I didn't, I didn't really want anything to do with God. I wasn't serious about God. I wasn't living for God. I wasn't following after Jesus. None of that. But that does not negate the fact that even while I was in my sin, Jesus had died and taken my place so that I could be forgiven. And all I had to do was repent, which is just basically turn, begin going the other way. Just say, you know what, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus today, and I'm going to find life in him. And I'm not going to live for myself anymore. God already did something. He made a move. You don't have to get your life together in order for God to make a move for you. And some of us, we even went into Easter weekend thinking this. We went into Easter weekend thinking, you know, it's Easter coming up and we really need to get our, like, I need to get my life together. So it's going to start on Easter. And I'm going to go to church on Easter and I'm going to get my life together. Can I tell you something? You don't have the power to get your life together. If you try to live for you and you try to get your life together, that may last for three months and you'll find yourself over here doing something that you, that it's like, what, how did I fall right back into the way that I was living before? It's because it's not about you getting your life together. It's about what Jesus already did for you so that he could help you get your life together. And you don't get your life together and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and then as you follow him, he helps you in those areas, and he works things out in your life, and he's doing a work in you. It's a progressive work. It's a process that he's taking you on, a journey that he's taking you on. And so it's not about you getting your life together. It's about you making a decision. I've made the decision to follow Jesus, and because I'm following Jesus, he's going to lead me where I need to go, and he's going to work these things out in my life that need to be worked out. So we've talked about the significance and the importance of the first breath mentioned in the Bible and the last breath that Jesus breathed and what he accomplished for us. And here's the final breath that I want to talk about today, and I want to spend just a few minutes on this one. It's one miraculous breath, and this is where the title of the message comes from. And what's interesting to me is that the final breath that we're talking about, this one miraculous breath, we actually can't see, we don't see this word in the Bible. So I was processing through this like, okay, God breathed life into human beings and we were, that's how we're alive. That's how our bodies are operating and doing it. It's because of the breath of God. And Jesus took all of this on himself and he died and it was buried with him. All of my sin and my shame and my guilt and my sickness and all of this stuff. But there's one other breath that we, we know it's there. But we don't have like a word for word, this happened. 
but it's found in the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to read, I want to read this from Matthew chapter 28 and then talk about it for just a moment. Uh, Jesus, you know, he's endured the beating and the whipping and the mocking and the crucifixion. And Friday has come and gone. Saturday has come and gone. And then we pick up the story on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled away the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards trembled in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Now before we get into... Uh, the, the main part that I want to bring to your attention. It's, it's interesting to me, there's been a debate over the years. I mean, even since, since the resurrection of Jesus occurred, it's like over that entire span of time, people have debated if the resurrection is a real event, if it really happened. Did Je- is there really a man named Jesus who came from heaven to earth and died for our sins and was raised on the third day? And so, there, you know, a couple of things that I wanted to just point out that I found interesting that, that some people have used to try to debunk the resurrection of Jesus was, you know, well, it was his enemies that came and they stole his body or his disciples came and they stole his body. We're even told in the Bible that, that they wanted to put guards and they did to guard the tomb because they were like, man, his disciples are going to come get his body and they're going to say and tell everybody that he was raised from the dead, but it didn't really happen. And so I got to thinking and reading and studying on this and if his enemies came, think about this for a minute, if his enemies came and, and took his body, the people that didn't like Jesus were against Jesus, and they were like, you know what, we're going to take care of this problem, we're going to go take his body. If his enemies came and took his body, wouldn't there have been a moment, you ever done this before, like, you know, with your kids or with your spouse, come on, don't look at them right now when we, when we talk about this example, but you ever done this before where it was like a ha-ha, you know, like, I got it right here, wouldn't there have been a moment? If the disciples are talking about Jesus being resurrected to where the people that stole his body would be like, "Uh uh-uh, got it right here, got it right here. And so that really doesn't make that much sense. So then I started thinking about how they they were guarding the tomb and, well, his friends or his disciples, they're going to come and they're going to steal the body and they're going to say that he was resurrected and they're going to lie to everybody and so we need to guard the tomb. And then it got me to thinking and reading and studying again. If if his disciples or his friends or some of his followers came and took the body, wouldn't it make less sense that they were willing to lay down their life to preach the message that Jesus was risen from the dead as the gospel message if they knew they had taken the body and it really wasn't real? Would it make any sense for you if you know that it's fake For you to give your entire life and ultimately be murdered for a gospel message that you knew did not exist because you went and took the body? It it doesn't make any sense. And here's the reason why it doesn't make any sense. Because there really was a man who came from heaven to earth, was God himself, laid down his life, took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our condemnation, all of our sickness on himself, was nailed to a cross, put in a tomb, but he didn't stay there. And I want you to picture with me the moment, okay? 
Because we have it recorded where the, the people go to the tomb. And they get there, and there's the angel, and the stone is rolled away, and you know it, it, it freaks out the, the guards, and they became like dead men, and all of this happened. But there was a moment before that moment. And there was a moment that we don't really have recorded in the Bible, but we know it happened because Jesus came back to life. And it's the moment where his body is laying in the tomb. Listen and picture this. Jesus' body is in the tomb, and all of a sudden, at some point on a Sunday morning, or the first day of the week, there was a breath. Before anybody ever got there, all of a sudden, Jesus, is his body is dead in the tomb. And there was so much going on behind the scenes that we don't have time to get into right now that Jesus was doing on your behalf. While we were just, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday's coming. There was so much going on that Jesus was taking care of for you. But there was a moment before anybody got there where there was a... And when, when he breathed that breath, everything changed for you and me. In one miraculous breath, somebody who was dead, laid in the tomb stone covering it up people guarding it so nobody can take his body and in the midst of all of that from behind the stone in the tomb there was a and jesus was alive and it changed everything it's almost like it solidified everything that 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 jesus had taken on him and was like he took all of our sin and all of the things that we're talking about, our sickness and guilt and shame and condemnation on himself, and it was crucified to the cross and it was laid in that tomb. And it solidified, like it, it was a moment where everything shifted. Like everything from this moment forward will never be the same again. And it all started with one, and Jesus breathed. And it changed your life 2,000 years later. And it all goes back to one breath. We talked about the first breath where he breathed into the man, and then Jesus, he breathed his last breath. But not only that, there was a first breath again. And this was the resurrected Jesus. And that moment in the tomb. And I, like, wouldn't it have been so cool to be there? I mean, like, I can imagine, this is, like, this is just me. Maybe y'all can relate, maybe you can't. But it's like the stone is still there, and I'm like, you know, if I didn't, like, if you were there and you knew that this was about to happen, like, you're like, there is going to be a breath, and I want to hear it. And so you're, like, camped out at the tomb, and you've, you know, you're like, ah, trying to hear. And all of a sudden, you hear that. And everything changes forever in one breath. One breath that Jesus came back to life. And we were singing, we were singing this song. And I want to, I want to kind of strip it down just a little bit. Because sometimes we, we miss the words. You ever, you ever been listening to a song or worshiping to a song and then you listen back to it later and you thought, wow, I didn't even realize it said that. Because the, the idea and the, the inspiration, if you will, for this entire message and, and looking back at the first breath and 
the last breath and thinking about the one miraculous breath that changed everything for you and I, it, it came out of a song that we sang. We sang this song this morning, and we're going to put the words up here, but, but I want to just, I want to strip it down just for a moment so that we can, so that we can sit in the weight of what Jesus did for you and what his breath means for you. This is, this is what it says, just, just six lines of this song that we sang earlier. It says, There was a moment when the sky lit up A flash of light breaking through All was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. And this is the part. Because it says, For in a dark open, where our Lord One miraculous breath, and we're forever changed. And what got me with this song was there was one miraculous breath, and we were forever changed. And then the next part of that song, because of the breath and us being changed, is the reason that we can say, All hail, King Jesus. Lord of heaven and earth, Savior of the world, all hail the one who in the tomb, not only did he take all of this on him, take our place, but there was that moment in the tomb where, and in that moment, everything changed. Come on, aren't you glad you're in here right now? <laughs> oh, man. One miraculous breath that brought Jesus back to life. It changed everything. And I want to I end with a couple of thoughts, and the worship team can go ahead and come back. I want us to think about it for a moment, because I was picturing it in my mind like this, this, this deep breath, this miraculous breath, this... And here's what, was, here's what was going through my mind and how this changed everything. It was a healing is now available. A forgiveness is now available. It was a breath and all of a sudden salvation was available. There was a breath and all of a sudden eternal life was available. There was a, there was a breath and all of a sudden relationship with our Heavenly Father was available. Because Jesus came back to life. There was a breath that in turn meant that now we can be raised to life as well. That we don't have to live for ourselves. Come on, there are some of us, I know this to be true, that like you've, you've lived it your way and you still feel empty. You've done everything that you know to do to try to feel okay and you still feel like something's missing. You've stepped into every area and every relationship and tried to do everything that you know to do. And at the end of the day, you still have this thought, there has to be 
more. There has to be something else. Can I tell you today? There is. And it comes with you putting your faith in Jesus, surrendering your life, and saying, no long, I, it's no longer I who live, but it's now Christ who lives in me. And I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm living to follow Jesus. The women, they showed up at the tomb as we were seeing, and the angel tells them, says, he's not here, he's alive, just like he said he would be. But come in here and see where he was laying. Come in here and see where he used to lay. And what's interesting to me is, is you can see, even in other Gospels, where the grave clothes were still in the grave. But Jesus wasn't in there. And here's why that's significant for you and I. Because all of the sin and shame and guilt and condemnation and sickness and all of the infirmity and all of these things that Jesus took on himself, that's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had taken on the sin of the world. But here's the great news. Whenever Jesus came out, all of that stuff is still buried in the grave. All of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and all of the, all of the sin, it's all still buried in the grave. And here's, here is the amazing news for every single one of us because we are all the same. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for a minute or you've been in church for the last 15 years. Every single one of us are in need of a Savior. But here is the amazing News, listen to me on this and we're going to close. Peace and forgiveness and salvation, all of these things have already been extended to you. It's already all been done. Here's all you have to do. Receive it. And so many of us live our lives rejecting the peace and the healing and the salvation and the forgiveness and the freedom that we so desperately want because it's only found in surrender to Jesus. Jesus said those who, those who want to save their life will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you'll actually find it. And it seems backward to us, but it's the way the kingdom works. And you'll never really know that until you're willing to lay your life down to follow Jesus. And then you will realize this is true life. Everything that I thought was living, I might have been I might have been alive, but I have never experienced living until I surrendered to Jesus and followed him. It's not about me getting my life together. It's about me surrendering to the one who can get my life together. And when I surrender to him, then everything begins to change. And that's where 2 Corinthians 5.17 comes in that says, the old is gone and the new has come. I've surrendered to Jesus. I'm a new creation. I'm following him. And as I follow him, he's going to change the things that need to be changed. He's going to guide me and lead me in the things that I need to do and don't need to do. He's going to show me the path. He, I'm going to be able to step into his purpose for my life. Will you stand to your feet this morning?
I want to just simply give you one invitation and we're going to pray together and sing one final song and then we're going to be dismissed today and and we're all going to go our separate ways and enjoy Easter with family and friends and and all of that. But I don't want to miss this opportunity because I believe there are some people here who maybe you've been living life your way, you've you've been doing it your way and you realize at this point I'm tired. I've been trying to figure things out and I'm exhausted. I have been trying to get my life together and I am worn smooth out. Here's what Jesus said. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, God, this is the greatest news ever. He did everything. He did everything so that you could just make a decision and say, I'm going to I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. I believe. I believe and I'm going to follow. I believe and I'm going to follow. And Jesus says, it's, it's just like when you read through the Gospels, when he was talking to people, he said, come follow me. Just, just come follow me. The disciples were changed as they followed. Things began to shift as they followed. But they had to be willing to surrender and say, I'm, I'm no longer living for me. I'm following you following you. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity to respond and then we're going to sing this last song. We've talked about, you know, when Jesus took his last breath and he said, it's accomplished, it's finished. Everything that needs to be done is done. And he took his last breath and he took all of that, all of your sin and sickness and all those things to the cross. And it was nailed there. It was put in the tomb. And then that one miraculous breath where Jesus came back to life, that moment and you were forever changed it changed everything for you for all eternity and so here is my invitation to you here's my question to you have you leaned into what Jesus did for you have you received what Jesus did for you and I think there are some of you here and here's the way I want to ask it if you know today you know today right where you're standing you know I need his grace and I need his mercy and I need his forgiveness I need his grace, I need his mercy, and I need his forgiveness. I just want to pray with you. We're all going to pray this prayer together because we don't want anybody to be praying alone. But if you're here today, I just want you to simply acknowledge to God, like, hey, I'm making the decision today. I'm making the decision today. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I've tried it my way, and I need to surrender to you. If that's you, will you just lift your hand right where you are? Just lift your hand right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want us to all pray this prayer together out loud. You can repeat after me. I want to lead you in this prayer and then we're going to sing this song. But just say this out loud. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for laying down your life for me. I receive your forgiveness today. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. I no longer desire to live for me, but I want to live for you. Thank you for saving me. I commit my life to follow you.
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on.